If we can just turn to the Colossian epistle. Uh, we find ourselves at the end of the Colossian epistle. Some of you are saying, finally, um, it seems like this day would never come. We've been, uh, I went back to my very first uh, sermon notes and it was 2018. <laughs> would you believe we started this at the end of 2018? So we're here at the end. And um, from verse 7 all the way down to the end of the book, uh, what we have here is a list of the friends and heroes of the Apostle Paul. Uh, It's an unusual passage because uh, it's probably only comparable to Romans 16 in a sense of the personal nature that it takes and the the specific names that are given. Uh, And the difference uh, between this and Romans 16, Romans 16 is largely a a list of greetings from various individuals. Here we have uh, rather a list of character summaries. And these men, uh, these friends and heroes of Paul, uh, make up um, what really are the the A-team of Paul's ministry throughout his time as the the founding, one of the founding fathers of the early church. Uh, And indeed, it's it's an amazing list. And the more I sort of got into uh, looking at each one of these names, there's 10 names in total, um, the more you find out just how rich a treasury we have in the Word of God and how every single little detail we are given uh, in God's Word is for our blessing and our good. Um, I'm not going to read the whole passage because we're going to sort of read it as we go. This morning is going to be a bit more of a study format rather than a sermon. Um, so let's get, let's get straight into it just with a few opening statements about the idea uh, in the Scriptures of Friendship, And I'm so grateful that Tom um, read that passage for us in Genesis 1 because that is where it all begins. The fellowship that the Godhead enjoys with one another has been passed on to us as we are created in his image and so that we are, by that very fact, social beings. We need friendship. We need fellowship. We need one another. And God even says that it was not good that man should be alone. And so he created others to be with us and so and then ecclesiastes goes on to say better are uh, two are better than one and if one prevail against him two shall withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken this theme of friendship is is paramount right through scripture of just how important it was when you consider the life of the lord jesus himself friends were so important to him he was able to bring around and lead and be an example to friends. And indeed, some of them, some of the closest and dearest to him uh, would become even martyrs of the early church because of the closeness and fellowship that they had. Just consider for a moment that after his resurrection, it says there in the book of Acts that, that, he, that he showed himself, he declared himself to more than 500 brethren. So 500 people who knew him. And then if we just step the circle in, remember he sent out 70 pairs of disciples to minister to the towns and the villages in Judea. They were sent out in pairs together. And then, of course, he called his 12 close to him. And these 12 were the the, the nearest and the dearest of the Lord Jesus Christ who came and learnt of the Lord Jesus. And even within inside that 12, we know that there was three Peter, James and John, who were especially close to the Lord. And so we see this friendship and fellowship theme in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this this, um, idea 
of fellowship and and helpfulness in the ministry continues through um, into the apostles' ministry as well. So let us meet these characters uh, who helped the apostle uh, in many different ways, Paul's uh, friends and heroes, and how they really fueled the uh, growth um, of the early church. And the way I want us to look at this today You know those missionary photos that um, I'm sure some of us have had on our fridges from time to time when you see a photo of the missionary and their family? Well, this is sort of like in the absence of Paul having uh, photographic technology in the day, what he's actually doing here to the Colossian church is he's sending through a, a a literal photograph of his ministry team. So if you can imagine it like that, as we move through it, we're going to be introduced to these various uh, individuals. And, you know, Paul had this amazing ability to draw people to himself and then not only draw them to himself, but then keep them. You know, it's it's very easy to sort of get to know somebody on a fairly superficial level. Um, It's also very easy to offend others. Um, Paul seems to have been able to have this ability to draw people in and then maintain strong uh, friendships with people with many different backgrounds, many different cultures over extended periods of time. Uh, which we will also see, because we have here uh, lots of different backgrounds. We have three uh, Jewish brothers that are named. We have three Gentile brothers that are named, uh, at least probably more like five or six. But, um, but you see here that, that there's this ability for the apostle uh, to be able to connect, because he knew, he knew more than anyone, that Christ was all and in all, and that he was the, the Lord Jesus Christ was the person that could bring everyone together under that banner. And so firstly, our first man, Tychicus. Tychicus, the CH is, uh, is pronounced with a K uh, in the Greek. Uh, Tychicus is the other uh, pronunciation. But this, the, the title I've given this man is he's, he is a man with a servant heart. Uh, some of the children, if you've got your worksheets, uh, we've just sort of left the little blanks there so that you can fill it in and, uh, and you can hopefully get to know some of these characters this morning. Tychicus. It says here that he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord, whom I have sent unto you and for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your own hearts. Tychicus actually means fortuitous. And indeed, uh, this chap, um, he was very fortuitous because he went on uh, probably no less than uh, four at least missionary journeys um, or, or messages that were, they're the ones that were just told about. Um, these were perilous journeys in the ancient day. Uh, this one that where he was carrying the letter of Colossians, also he had Ephesians with him and the letter of Philemon on this journey. So if you could imagine this man, he's there, he's got his travelling gear, um, perhaps he was with others, but, and he's got these letters bound up these parchments, these scrolls, tucked into his robe, carrying them across the ancient world to these churches. And so these, um, this, this journey alone would have been the, the crossing of three different countries um, or three different provinces of the time, two ocean voyages, just to get from Rome to, to, to Colossae. So it's no small feat. It's not like he's jumping on a bus. And, you know, just imagine that journey for a moment, how easily it could have been for this manuscript to get lost or he got robbed or something like that and but no uh, he is um, he has demonstrated his unquestionable loyalty to Paul 
Uh, it is, he is Paul's go-to messenger throughout the book of Acts. Um, he is also a pastor. And he, up until this point, he's been a help to Paul for about four years. He's um, also, we're going to find out, that he's going to tell these Colossians the, about Paul himself. He's going to be the one to deliver the personal encouragement to the Colossian, uh, to the Colossian church and inform them because these, these brothers and sisters have not yet met um, the apostle. Apparently, what's happened here is Epaphras, who you recall was sent out from Colossae to visit Paul, Epaphras is too unwell to travel, and so the, the apostle sends Tychicus in his place uh, to go back to the church in Colossae. The first mention we have of Tychicus is actually in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. Now, you don't have to go to all these verses that I mentioned, but I am going to mention them to you. Um, and he's one of the men that came with Paul uh, from the Roman province of Asia, which, was, which is where we are, from Ephesus. Um, and he is also one of the, um, you know, he was the one that was, remember the, the offering that was taken up for the needy widows um, back in Jerusalem? So he was in charge of the money. Tychicus was given the money to carry back to Jerusalem from Ephesus. And that's the context where he first pops up. And so he is entrusted with the finances as well um, as the letters. In Ephesians 2.6, we have an almost identical verse to this verse in Colossians, where he says, But ye may also know of my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things. And then in 2 Timothy 4.12, at the end of Paul's letter, in the rather uh, sombre um, end of the chapter there, in chapter 4, in 2 Timothy, Tychicus, it says, I have sent to Ephesus. Okay, so Tychicus is being sent to Timothy's home church. Timothy was one of the first uh, pastors there in Ephesus, and he's being sent by the apostle back to Ephesus uh, from Rome. Titus 3.12 more than likely, he actually visited Titus. We're not sure who uh, Paul ended up sending, whether it was Artemis or Tychicus. But the point is here is that he loved, he loved Titus. He loved his brother Titus, who was a pastor on the island of Crete. He loved Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus. And on these two occasions, on two completely separate occasions, we see Paul here actually endorsing Tychicus to fill the role of pastor in those two churches. So we know that Tychicus was not just a messenger. We know that he was actually almost, well, he was an itinerant pastor that could go and fill in and provide relief for the early churches um, in those times of needs. He, it indicates to me that, that Tychicus was the, he's the ideal generalist. He could just take up a job that needed to get done, no matter how, many, uh, how, how, um, how small and also no matter how great. He was able to um, adapt to different situations. It shows us that he's, he's also very loyal and trustworthy and reliable and Paul uh, could rely on him to, to fulfil these things. Um, and I'm just so glad for Tychicus. I'm so, I'm so um, thankful for him because with, without the Tychicus in the New Testament, we wouldn't have these letters. We wouldn't have uh, some of these um, great, um, these doctrinal documents that we have now in our, in our Bible. And he made it possible. He gave up his own personal goals for the sake of the gospel, uh, for the sake of Christ, and he was used in a mighty way. And I, I think out of all the men on this list, you know, he, he's just given me such an encouragement. 
Such a, such a faithful um, man that is such an encouragement that we are reminded that even in the small things, even in these details that we have here, um, like just simply being a messenger, you know, it, it is so important um, if, we, if we are charged to do these things um, on behalf of the Lord. So that's the first man, Tychicus, a man with a servant heart. The second on our list, Onesimus, a man with a sinful past. A man with a sinful past. Now, we were introduced to Onesimus in much more detail in Philemon. Onesimus, it says here, he's described as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So Tychicus and Onesimus now are going to be telling the church at Colossae all about Paul's condition and the state of the church there in Rome. And you remember that Onesimus, he's actually a runaway slave. And miraculously, he's found his way all the way from Colossae to Rome in running away um, from his master, from Philemon. Miraculously, he has met the Apostle Paul. He has come into contact with Paul and the Christians there in Rome. He has been converted um, in an amazing way, and in fact, in, in Philemon, Paul actually refers to Onesimus as my very heart. He's become a dear brother to Paul. He has become a beloved brother uh, to Paul. And, you know, it reminded me of that, uh, that saying, Christ's, Christ makes sure a man with a past has a past that has passed. And that's Onesimus. Okay, he's it, it, all things. Um, he is a new creation. He is in Christ. If any man is, is a new creation... All things are passed away, and behold, all, all things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And I, I particularly like how he refers to Tychicus as the, um, as the bond slave, the, or the slave of Christ here. He doesn't refer to Onesimus like that. He refers to Onesimus you know, simply as the beloved uh, brother, faithful and a beloved brother. Um, and, you know, you want to hear something really interesting um, for you history buffs, one of the early fathers of the church, Ignatius, um, who was writing a few years after the New Testament era, and in that letter, Ignatius, and this is just historical evidence, by the way, it's not biblical, but it, it is um, interesting nonetheless. He was a pastor of the church in Smyrna. Remember one of the churches mentioned in Revelation 3. And Ignatius, uh, writing these, these letters, uh, he's actually writing to the Colossian church. So this is a, a letter between churches, between pastors, and Ignatius writes, I have received, therefore, the whole multitude in the name of God through Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love, and your bishop in the flesh, whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love, and that you will all seek to be like him. And indeed, Onesimus himself greatly commends your good order in God, and that you all live according to the truth, and that no sect has any dwelling place among you. Now, isn't that an amazing uh, endorsement for Onesimus um, that, uh, you know, a decade or so after the New Testament was completed, Onesimus is actually now the pastor in Colossae. Just an amazing way that which God can turn around um, any life, um, including the apostle, uh, including Onesimus. Um, and it's interesting to note there that, that um, the, the fact that Ignatius calls out the fact that no sect has any dwelling place among you you know, that's the whole point while Paul was writing Colossians. He was writing them to make sure that they stayed true to the doctrine that Christ is all that they needed, that Christ was everything, 
and that they didn't need to introduce any of these other um, ideas or thoughts in order to uh, come into a full understanding of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So Onesimus, a man with a sinful past. Aristarchus. Aristarchus is the next chap mentioned. My fellow prisoner saluteth you. Now that is all that is said here, but we do know that Aristarchus was a Jewish Macedonian from Thessalonica, again referring to Acts 20 and also mentioned in Acts 19. You, you recall when the, um, the silversmith stirs up the mob there in Ephesus and uh, two chaps are taken to the temple. Basically, there was going to be a lynching and uh, lo and behold, it's, it's uh, Gaius and Aristarchus are the two Christians in their crosshairs. And what's happened here, after the Ephesian mob sees them, remember the mayor calms everybody down and says, hey, look, they haven't taken anything from the temple. And, you know, we've got the court in session. You know, we don't need to, you know, do any of this uncivilised things or lynching people. So, um, you know, let's just send them off to court. Now, from here on in, we know that Aristarchus always seems to be associated with Paul in his imprisonment and what i mean by that is that he is there he is always there on the journeys when paul is being taken as a prisoner from wherever he is to rome for both of his uh, roman captivities aristarchus is actually the friend that is with paul on both occasions and so that is why here we are given he is given this title my fellow prisoner and it's an unusual word. It's the only word that, um, that in, the, in the New Testament that this, this term is mentioned in this way. Sunuk malatos uh, is the word, and it actually means one caught with a spear. So it's, the idea here is that Aristarchus is actually a prisoner of war. That's really the intent of the term. So he's a prisoner of war, um, he's a, and he's a fellow prisoner. He, Aristarchus is a captive like me, Paul's saying. Okay. And Aristarchus, you know, he would... Um, there's actually some historical evidence. See, um, private citizens weren't allowed to travel with prisoners. I mean, it, it sort of goes without saying. It's kind of ridiculous. But Aristarchus couldn't have just put his hand up and said, oh, I'll come along with Paul. You know, and the Romans just facilitated that somehow and took them with him um, on their journey. The only way Aristarchus could actually have um, travelled with Paul and then been in prison with Paul was to actually be Paul's slave, legal slave. So there's, uh, there's strong evidence that he actually even um, went through the process of becoming a slave in order that he could be Paul's companion through all of those trials. And I mean, Aristarchus, I mean, he is the, he is the ultimate bad weather friend. You know, we, we could all do with some more Aristarchuses in our life when things go bad, when things turn rough. Um, now, I don't think any of us have been imprisoned um, before and taken uh, to a far-off land awaiting trial. But, look, you know, it also reminds us of, of the um, ability that we have to be like Aristarchus and to draw alongside people who we know are suffering, especially suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, and so this, um, Aristarchus, even though we're not told much about him at all, but we are told that he is, uh, a, a, um, he is always there with Paul and indeed he is a fellow prisoner of Paul. And even though he can't, um, it, we're not told that he's doing anything particularly prominent, the fact that of his very presence there with the apostle was a tremendous help for him. And so Aristarchus, a man um, with a sympathetic heart. 
And nextly, uh, on our list, the chap that we're going to meet is Mark. Mark, the man with a surprising future. And indeed, this Mark, Mark, Marcus, sister's son of Barnabas, touching whom you receive the commandments, if he come to you, receive him. Okay? And so what we're, what we're told here, for the first time, this is the, the verse that we have where we know that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. We're not told that in Acts. So, we, so um, and, and I, Luke, I think Luke, when he's writing it, he sort of intentionally leaves that out because he's sort of, well, it's not really um, important for the, for the purposes of writing a discourse on the early church. Um, but, but we do know that that is uh, one of the reasons why Barnabas indeed um, wanted to bring Mark with uh, them. But we, we also know that then uh, Paul and Barnabas had a tremendous falling out um, because of this chap, Mark. Now... I won't go into all the details of that. I want to just keep moving. But, you know, it does, it does throw um, light on the special consideration which Bar- Barnabas gave to Mark in that particular narrative. Um, and because Paul identified Mark in terms of his relationships, it seems as though the Colossians also knew who Barnabas was. And, but what's been happening here between that event and, this, and now this letter being penned is that the grace of God has been working in the heart of the apostle. The grace of God has been um, able to soften him and change him and, and move him towards others who had previously offended him. And that's what we have here. We have Mark completely reconciled with the apostle. Um, and we, we shall see in, in Philemon 24, he's actually named with um, Aristarchus again and Demas and Luke um, as my fellow workers. And so he was a fellow worker. Um, in First Peter chapter 5, we have this interesting uh, reference to him when Peter writing to the church at Babylon, elected together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son, says Peter. So whatever happened, you know, you think about it. If you wanted a disciple out of all of the 12 to come alongside you and, and counsel you, um, in this school of Christ, where in the past there had been some sort of personal failure, I don't think you can have a better candidate than Peter, can you? You, you know that he was there, he was able to hand, handle it, and he was able to get Mark back on the horse, back going in the right direction, and back in the service uh, and usefulness for God, for God. He helped Mark regroup. And uh, it, it's just so exciting to see how even though Mark... Um, had that uh, trip up, um, he was able to be restored. And then about six years after the Colossian letter was written, he writes the Gospel of Mark, used in an amazing way. And, um, and I, I love it at the end there, again, in that la- last closing chapter of Second Timothy, where Paul's writing, he's closing out his life. It's, it's some of his final words that we have on record that he's written. And he says to Timothy, um, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is left, but, you know, take Mark. Take Mark, bring, bring him with you. So Mark was there in Ephesus with Timothy. Take Mark, bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So in those closing, uh, as the embers of Paul's life were fading, uh, the man that he wanted more than anyone to come with, with uh, Timothy was Mark. And what a, tremendous, um, what a tremendous testimony that is for both uh, the Apostle and for Mark uh, to have that, that wonderful reconciliation 
and uh, to be used in such a profitable way. Isn't that good? Isn't that, isn't that encouraging to know that there's, there's always a way back um, and even when we make mistakes? Um, but we have amazing turnaround, amazing future for this guy, um, and that is because of the amazing grace of our God. So Mark, a man with a surprising future. Jesus' justice. Now, Jesus' justice. Uh, he's a man with a strong commitment. And look, we're not told anything about this chap. Um, Jesus, which is called justice, he doesn't actually get referred to anywhere else in the New Testament. But what we are told, as he is there um, named alongside Aristarchus and Mark and justice, we know that they're Jews, but they are all given the title of my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort to me. And the thing we have to take away from from this man is the fact that, yes, he was a Jew. And yes, we know that the Jews were were some of the hardest-hearted people that Paul was trying to reach. And indeed, this was a burden that Paul carried. He carried this burden for his fellow countrymen who had rejected their Messiah. But, you know, those that did, these three Jews, Aristarchus, Mark and, and Jesus Justice, we know that they were a great help to him. And this man, even though we don't have a lot uh, to know about him, we know that he was a man with a strong commitment, a man with a strong commitment, because he had to turn his back on his culture, of his, on his people, in order to follow the one true and living God and his Lord Jesus Christ. And so this word here, the um, sunagoi, a co-labourer, um, and it's just this, this beautiful picture that we have here that these three were such a comfort um, to the apostle in his confinement. Ju- Jesus' justice, the man with a strong commitment. Epaphras is the next uh, person that we come to. Epaphras says this. This is quite a, um, quite a large section of, about Epaphras, who is one of you. He's a servant of Christ. He salutes you. And he's always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know, as a servant of Christ, Epaphras was a man of prayer. And this was his single passion. He was a man with a single passion. He calls, he calls Paul a, a bondservant of Christ, a uh, and this is a title that um, is only given to Paul himself, refers to him himself as a, as a bondservant. He refers to Tychicus as uh, a bondservant and he refers to Epaphras. These are, these, this is the designation of slaves for Christ, those that are completely um, just given to the work of the Lord. Um, and look at how he is slaving away. You know, he is always labouring fervently for you in prayer. And, you know, prayer is, is hard work. Um, and Epaphras, even though we know he, he had his own health issues and, and his own health problems, um, and indeed he couldn't travel, but he could pray. Um, and knowing the dangers that had crept into Colossae, he was so fervent in praying for Colossae, his heart was so, um, so zealous for the, for the Colossian church there, that he continued to pray, and that uh, the, the fact that he would his prayer that Paul calls out the main point that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. 
That statement is really the thesis for the whole Colossian letter. That is really what Paul, why Paul was writing to the Colossians in the first place. That they would all be mature and complete and realise that their maturity and their completeness is found in Christ and that there was nothing else to add. And so I think we can safely say that his prayers were wonderfully answered because of this church, the fact that it did go on and it, and it was used in a mighty way um, in the establishment of the gospel, of the kingdom of God uh, in the early church. Epaphras, uh, he, he was always labouring, it says labouring fervently. You know, this is the idea that there is uh, such a labour that there is a pain and an, an extent of agony um, in his prayers. And that he had, I believe that Epaphras prayed so well because he loved so well. He loved these dear believers. He was one of them. He was from Colossae. And he just had them burdened upon his heart that they wouldn't get carried away by any of these other false doctrines that were sneaking into the church. And so we can thank God that his prayers were wonderfully answered um, in, in this way. So Epaphras, a man with a single passion, a single passion um, for prayer. Next, we come to Luke. Luke. Now, I've, I've given him the title A Man with a Specialized Talent or with Specialized Talents. You know, this is again one of those passages where we are told that Luke was a physician. We, we're actually not told that uh, anywhere else. And, um, and this is the one passage that informs us that, uh, that indeed he was there to. Uh, minister both um, in a spiritual sense but also in a medical sense to the apostle he was educated he was cultured he was well trained Uh, he could he could probably speak multiple languages and get around the ancient world um, quite easily and we also see that um, his the way in which Luke is written and also the book of Acts um, it it comes with it a more um, scientific and analytical mindset um, capturing every single detail, just like a, a physician would. Um, and, you know, the, the reason why some scholars have said that Luke was present with the apostle on this particular occasion in, um, in Rome was because he was actually delivering uh, the book of Luke and the, the book of Acts to uh, the Roman courts. So these documents would have gone in with Paul's trial... And those documents would have been submitted as evidence, explaining the reason why uh, Paul was being brought before Caesar. And so uh, there's, um, there's a tremendous um, help here uh, in, in Luke, not only being there in person with Paul, but also bringing with him um, those documents. And of course, we know, as we've already touched on, that, that Luke and in in, in Paul writing in his final days in 2 Timothy 4, uh, only Luke is with me. And so Luke, again, this faithful man of God who was there with the apostle, who saw that he had to, he had to meet the medical needs of the apostle there while he was under arrest um, and do everything he could. But even right there at the end of his second um, imprisonment in Rome, only Luke is with me. It would indicate that, that he was uh, there right to the very end um, of Paul's life. And, you know, Luke is really the, the prototype, isn't he, of the, the modern medical missionary, the one who can go and assist uh, the needs uh, and the medical cares of, of others. 
Uh, and he probably had to give up a significant income uh, in private practice and also uh, the prestige of being able to associate himself um, with the apostle, who was, who was really, at this point, viewed as just a criminal. Um, and, but, but like Mark, you know, he too counted the cost. Uh, and in doing so, he was given the wonderful privilege of writing not only the Gospel of Luke, but also uh, the book of Acts that we have now in our Bibles. So Luke, the man with specialised talents. And so we get to this, um, the next person, Demas, just says, and Demas, greet you. Demas, at this point um, on our missionary uh, photograph that we have, um, we have a slight shadow now come across um, the photograph. Demas, uh, I've said, a man with a sad future. And it's a warning, um, and it's also, look, the fact that there is nothing of note that the Apostle mentions about Demas, we don't know if that's um, because he had reservations about him already when he penned this, but he does send his greetings. However, in Philemon, we do know that he is numbered with the fellow labourers, with Mark, with Luke, with Aristarchus. He is actually there named as a fellow labourer. But Demas, uh, it is a sad, um, a sad story because um, we know that uh, when you read about um, Demas, again at the end of Second Timothy, it says this, that Demas has forsaken him, having loved this present world, and he has gone on to Thessalonica. You know, he says, Demas, he was around during this first imprisonment that Colossians is written from. You know, Demas was around at the second imprisonment. He was my fellow worker, but he left me because he loved the present system of this world. He has abandoned Paul because he has fallen back in love with the world. And, you know, I think... um, For for a time there, Demas had made a very substantial commitment to Christ. He had made a very substantial commitment. He had helped and indeed served for over many years. Um, And it's just a reminder, a very telling reminder, that just like our Lord Jesus Christ had his Judas, uh, Paul had his Demas. And um, look, we don't know anything. We don't know if Demas repented. We don't know if um, if that, that, that is the end of the story. Um, but that is why I've, I've just sort of given him that title, Demas, the man with a sad future that started off so well, um, but it seems as though it ended very badly. And then finally, just some closing observations. In verse 15, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it to be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed of the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfil it. You know, the the point here is that there is is conjecture about whether or not Nymphus or Nympha, the the two original, or the, the three original manuscripts that we possess, um, it actually um, doesn't really tell us whether Nympha or Nymphus was a male or a female. Um, the fact that Paul says, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and then singles out Nympha, I tend to lean towards the fact that this is a, a, a woman, 
um, who's actually um, opened up her house for the church to use, um, no, not dissimilar to, to Lydia. And I think, um, uh, but, but the, that, to put that one, one side for a sec, the point is that all we have is from the Lord. And this person recognised that. And they opened up their house to the church. They, they let the church meet um, and gather in the house. What we usually um, had to be quite a big house with a large internal courtyard. Um, and this was um, beneficial because you could fit a lot of people in there, but you could also keep the prying eyes of the authorities um, away. And so people could gather into these, um, usually sometimes in fairly rural uh, locations um, away from the, the authorities. But, but that's the point. The fact that this person has opened up their house um, and, and that Paul actually um, knows about it and, and commends them for it. And also the fact here is that the, when, we, when it says that um, the letter to the Laodiceans, likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So where is the letter from Laodicea, you say? Why don't we have a letter from Laodicea in our Bibles if we have a letter from the Colos- for the Colossians? Well, I'm pretty certain that we do have it, and it's called Ephesians. Uh, because, again, the earliest manuscripts, there is no mention in the Ephesian manuscripts of uh, Ephesus. Uh, in fact, there is only one manuscript that actually says Ephesus. Uh, all the others are blank. All the others are absent of any personal salutations um, or any indication that there was any individuals particularly addressed to that letter. So I don't think we need to get too worried about the fact that um, that's, uh, that's not in our Bibles. Um, and in fact, when you see the, the, the literal harmony between Colossians and Ephesians, uh, it just makes so much sense. That you, know, you read Colossians first, you get this beautiful picture of Christ as our sovereign head, and then you read Ephesians and you see how the, the body connects to the head with his church. And it is a portrait in those two books that I think makes a very compelling case that indeed we have that letter um, here with us. And maybe, just maybe, you know, when Laodicea was issued the warning in Revelation 3 that I will remove your candlestick, I can't help but think that that warning was indeed followed through with in the fact that we don't have a letter to the Laodiceans. In our Bibles, we've got a letter to the Ephesians. And of course, this letter would have been read by all the churches in the Lycus Valley, but it was the Ephesians who were singled out as the, as the torchbearers, if you like, as the candlestick bearers um, coming forward and with whether or not that um, candlestick was indeed removed um, from that Laodicean church who seemed to remain um, under, unrepentant because they were, of course, in need of nothing. Archippus, the man who needed encouragement. Just consider for a moment the scene as this letter is read. The letter's being read publicly. All the Colossian believers are gathered around there. It's, it's quite exciting. Okay? They're, they're getting a letter from the Apostle Paul. They're hearing from their friend uh, Epaphras. They're hearing from the first time in potentially months what's been going on. And there would have been a, a, a crowd there gathered there in this early church. And, but Paul here, he's chosen rather to address Archippus directly, 
he's actually asked the Colossians, say to Archippus, he wants the encouragement to come from the church. He doesn't want the he wants them to come from the people that are known to Archippus, who Archippus will respond to. And indeed, say to Archippus, take heed of the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfil it. Now, Archippus uh, was more than likely the son of Philemon and and uh, Achippa. Um, and and we know that because of Philemon um, 1 verse 2. And we also know that um, Archippus was, was valued as an associate in God's work because he is given the designation a fellow soldier okay, in Philemon. But he needed to hear from the people around him that his ministry was needed. His ministry was wanted. And he needed to stay focused on this ministry that was called because it's a God-given ministry. And, you know, true ministry is if it is received from the Lord, then you, you have also the possibility that you can have a ministry that is completely unfulfilled. And so while this is an, a, 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 indeed an encouragement, it's also a bit of a warning that we can be given gifts, we can be given certain ministry um, opportunities and objectives yet not fulfill them. That's the, that is the, really the warning here. It's a, it can be a ministry left unfulfilled. But we should, we should all be encouraging one another to fulfill the ministry that we've been called to, whatever it is. And I'm not talking about preaching. I'm actually talking about all the other things that go on in the day-to-day uh, of life. And the things that, that you can see that people are, are gifted to. We all know those people who, who are prayers, we all know those people who are generous. We all know those people who are given to hospitality. These are the things that we need to be um, encouraging one another in to f- make sure that they're fulfilled. Um, and at the same time, I, I do feel a little bit of pity for Archippus um, because he's just had this amazing roll call of um, you know Paul's A-team in ministry and then he's been sort of added on to the end here uh, and so you, you Colossians, you let Archippus know that he's got a ministry too and he needs to fulfil it, just like these other guys that I've just mentioned. Um, and so Archippus, he's a, he's a man who needed encouragement. And so that's really the end of our, our quick character uh, overview, our character studies of these men. Um, look, it's, it's, there's been a lot of information there, I know. Uh, I, I do apologise for that, but I, do want to, I did want to get through it all. Um, but just in closing, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 18, we just have that final salutation. By the hand of Paul, remember my bonds, grace be unto you, amen. And this salutation, as was custom in his day, that if he was there writing with a scribe, um, writing the letter, you know, you can picture it, whether it, was, whether it was Tychicus or whether it was somebody else. He's there writing with his scribe, you know, they're, they're talking about things, they're writing things, they're changing things. Um, but then at the end, he takes, you know, he takes that, that quill, he leans over to the parchment and he just adds his final greeting uh, to the end. It's a lovely picture. Remember my chains, he writes. There's so much emotion uh, and sorrow in that statement, but there's also a strength, the fact that he was a bond slave for Christ 
And um, Paul knew of the, the loneliness and the confinement of being uh, locked up, of being a prisoner, and we know that it's not the first time it's mentioned. But indeed, these, this is what he wants them to remember him in. Remember, I'm here. I'm here for the gospel. I'm here for our Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be with you. Grace be with you. You know, confronting a heresy like he has in this book, in this little letter of Colossians, confronting a heresy, emphasising some special hidden meaning that these false teachers had crept in with, not already revealed in our Lord Jesus, you can only go forward, you can only go straight through these kinds of things if grace is with you, if grace is with us for the daily grind of life. You can only do anything. It is only through grace. Paul knew this better than anyone. And so that is why he just commends that to us, to these Colossians. Grace be with you. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. Amen. Isn't that just such a blessing to to end with um, as we've come to this final uh, chapter in Colossians uh, I thought of that, uh, you know, just the way in which, um, as I read the passage again even just last night, and just reminded that of the, the insignificance, really, the world gives this book, and also that particularly that list of men. You know, it's, they're, they're footnotes in history. And, and many of us, we will, not, we will not even be a footnote, okay? And that quote um, at the end of Middlemarch... Uh, for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been if half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. And uh, brothers and sisters, you know, there, there's no nobodies in the kingdom of God. There's no every single person plays an important vital role in God building his kingdom and establishing his church. No matter the task, it's not about the task, it's about the person. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ and it is about us being conformed into maturity and completeness in him. That is our task. That is what we've been commanded to do. Everybody is somebody because we are in Christ, because we are in him. We are complete in him. We have this message to carry to those who, that, that others have given us. And we, we need to carry, we need to be faithful. We need to be the fellow labourers. We need to go, take this message and go before us. So let us be the bond slaves of Christ. Let us be the, the beloved in him. Let us be the faithful and fellow labourers. And let us push on with Christ and push on for Christ because Christ is in us and he is our hope of glory. Amen. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word is eternal. We thank you that you have uh, kept this word for us. And Lord, it is indeed such a treasure that we can open it anytime we please, Lord, and we can read it. And Lord, your Holy Spirit can speak to us through it. Lord, this has been such a blessing to again be reminded of the great preeminence of our Lord Jesus Christ over all things. Father, to be again reminded that we are indeed complete in him 
and that there is nothing to add. And because our life is hid with Christ in God, none will snatch us from his hand. Father, for we are eternally secure with you and with your Son, our Lord Jesus. So, Lord, help us live out our faith. Help us to do the small things well. Help us, Lord, to look above and to look and see our Lord Jesus seated at your right hand. And, Father, we pray that even in this coming week, we might just be again encouraged uh, and filled with joy. Father, for, the, for the, our final destiny is with you. And, Father, for our final home is with him in heaven. So, Lord, take us now to our homes. Be with us on this Lord's Day. Father, minister to us, we humbly pray, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.